0: Open 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the desperation in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your living word, as it deposits its truth in our ballast. It helps us ride out the storms that come in life. Helps us to not get tossed to and fro by myths and endless talk. But it speaks of you. It speaks of Jesus all about why we celebrate this season of Advent and Christmas. It speaks about who is our hope and how that hope never, ever leaves us high and dry. So Lord God, we pray that you deposit truth into our souls today through the reading and the proclaiming of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This being the last Sunday of Advent 2019, who can believe it's December 22nd? Doesn't it seem like it was just like the middle of November? And whoosh! it's December 22nd, three days before Christmas. Now since we're preaching through the Bible in 2019, I've rearranged the traditional arrangement of Advent Sundays, and usually the first Sunday, I believe, is hope. It's the fourth Sunday, we're going to talk about hope today. Now mind you, the hope that we're going to talk about is not the world's version of hope. The world version of hope is quite different than a Christian hope. Because the word hope in most dictionaries you find in, on your shelf says that hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation to want something to happen or be true. Do you see... Something wrong with that definition? It's from a well known dictionary. It's just repeating what culture, what the world says hope is. Hope to them is nothing more than having an optimistic state of mind based on the expectation of a positive outcome with respect to circumstances, events in our lives, in the world at large. In other words, hope is nothing more than how much positivity can we put towards it? How much good can we think is going to happen in one future? The problem is, is that, what's the big problem? Is that when we put all the positive energy towards something, when the anticipation of what we expect to come true doesn't happen, what happens to us? Since Miguel's back, I'm going to pick on him. Andrew's not here. In 2010, when your Canucks went to the Stanley Cup, did you have lots of positive hope towards a good outcome? I wasn't even watching them. Oh, you weren't even watching them. You don't even <laughs> admit that you're watching. Oh, then. suffering. Uh, what's that? My many years. Yeah. They won
1: last night, though. Sold to the Oilers.
0: Yeah. That doesn't happen very much these days. Ooh. Ushers, would you banish that man from the... (laughs) Okay, let's bring this back on the rails. But if we... What we're putting positive energy towards, what we're putting anticipation towards doesn't work out, leads to disappointment, leads to despair. Think about it when you're a kid or think about it if you're still a kid at heart and on Wednesday you don't open what you think you want or you don't get what you really want. You're going to go... No, we're going to walk away with disappointment. We're going to walk away with despair. It's going to be a feeling of hopelessness. That's the world's version of hope. It's much like I went through in the 80s I was in the military, as many of you know, I joined, and I uh, worked on those things. Actually, that's one of the ones I worked on. I don't want to even tell you how many times I pulled out the AFN of that thing to get the engines, which in the CF-5 back in the mid-80s, lasted about two hours of flight time before they had to be pulled, before they fixed them. And I was told right from my beginning of my trades training that I had what it takes, what it took to get promoted quicker than most people. And so I worked hard when I hit Cold Lake to get my trades training done for my apprenticeship. So I become basically a journeyman on aircraft and get my events promotion early as a corporal, much like Alan just graduated from a journeyman. He's a journeyman heavy duty mechanic now, my friend. Congratulations. (laughs) You worked hard at it. And I worked hard at getting promoted from a private to a corporal quicker because I was encouraged to. So therefore I put a lot of positive energy towards if I can just get promoted, I can get my journeyman, so to speak. I can be free from having people expect my work to then be able to sign off on things myself. I could actually expect other people's work and sign off on it. And of course I'm going to well, a pay raise as well. And actually I looked uh, the other day when I was preparing this I laughed because I was making, back then, just slightly under what I'm making now. And I looked at what an airframe technician gets paid in the Air Forces today I almost joined, again. But I don't think I would make it through basic training. But at the same time, I kept my nose clean. I said, yes sir, no sir, how high sir, to everyone and everybody that mattered. All in the anticipation to get my advanced corporals sooner, but a year and a half sooner. And I did it all, had high marks, got my, P, my personal evaluation reviews every year were good. Until that day, where I finished it all, my master corporal, he's a French Canadian, I still remember his name, Pierre, filled the paperwork gladly and recommend, run, recommended me for advanced promotion. And then we waited. We waited, and my hope grew. I... Focused all the positiveness I could towards my promotion. Of course thinking about the extra responsibility and of course thinking about the extra money. And as military works, one month turned to two, two turned to four as we waited, four turned to eight. And guess what happened to my hope after about eight months? It turned sour. No amount of positive thinking could help me. Began to wonder about, was it worth it? Did I really work hard enough for it? Why did I waste all that energy and time towards it? And it was about four months when I would have got promoted anyway, That I was discovered by a officer who liked me, who took my cause under his wing, so to speak, who started doing the investigation. It turned out that a sergeant that wasn't even over me in the chain of command had buried his, my recommendation in his desk. All because he wanted one of his drinking buddies to get promoted instead. There was only so many advanced promotions a unit could give out a year, and so this other private got promoted, and that's what actually caused the warrant officer to start asking questions. And when he did he found in the sergeant's desk that already moved away from our unit my paperwork. Just sitting there collecting dust. Warrant officer, bless his heart, took matters in his own hand, went to to talk to our commanding officer of our unit. Commanding officer was flying a T-Bird aircraft every weekend out to Ottawa to visit his family. He took my paperwork and hand-delivered it to National Defense Headquarters in Ottawa on my behalf. And then I got promoted earlier, but not definitely a year earlier than I had been. See, why my hope turned to despair, is what I was hoping for back then. had no substance to it. It had no solid truth attached to it. It had nothing really to support it. That's the kind of hope the world offers us. Christian hope, though, is so much different. It's so much different than the world's version of hope. Because it's based on something solid, something truthful, something real, something of substance. Because it's based on the promises of God. The promises of God who, when he says something, it happens. It will come to pass. Not 49% of the time. Not 85% of the time. Not 99.9% of the time, but 100% of the time, what God has says comes to be. When we put our hope in that sort of percentages, we can have confidence in hoping. When God says something, it will come to pass. Because that's what this is, we celebrate in this Advent season, aren't we? All the promises of God that were given the Old Testament records have been proven true. Not just a little bit, but completely true in the coming of the Messiah. And will come true when Jesus returns. They were proven true hundreds of years after they were given. 700 years, some of them. And in the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4 tells us, God broke, brought forth his Son. In the, just the right time, we don't understand exactly from our perspective in history how that was, or when Jesus was born, that was the right time. We will when we hit eternity. Just like when Jesus returns, we'll understand why it wasn't today. Or why it wasn't 50 years ago. And why it may not be 50 years from now. But when he does, Jesus or God in Jesus fulfills every promise. This is why Christian hope is something that will never let us down. When we put our trust in Jesus, we will not be proved disappointed. See, Christian hope's not on positive thinking. It's not on something good happening. It's based on God's faithfulness. Period. God's faith in us, that's proven in and through Jesus Christ. Which is why now when we turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, that Peter writes that the hope that we have as Christians is a living hope. Now living hope is a way to say it's a hope that will not let us down. It's not a dead hope. There's no way my Hamilton Americans, I think they're called in 1925, will ever win the Stanley Cup. Because they're a dead franchise. There might be hope that the Oilers might win one or two still. There might be hope that Vancouver might win one in a couple decades. And there's no hope really that Sanders will win one. Peter turns and tells us that in verses 3 to 5. Saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, think beyond the words about who's writing this. The Apostle Peter. Would he not be someone... Who knew firsthand what it's like to place their hope in something other than a living hope? He learned to place his hope in the living hope through the school of hard knocks. Well, by the way, how many of us are learning through the school of hard knocks when we put our hope in the way the world is? That only leads to disappointment. Remember, Peter, the night Jesus was betrayed. Jesus said, you will all fall away. What was Peter's response? I will never fall away, Lord. Okay. Peter already identified Jesus as the sovereign God of the universe in his testimony in Matthew, which Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail and stuff like that and yet the sovereign Lord of the universe says you're all going to fall away and Peter says not me yeah. what was he putting his hope in he's putting his hope in what the world puts his hope in his self-sufficiency somehow Lord even though you say it and what you say is true I'm going I'm to stand no matter what Lord it's wishful thinking. It's positive thinking. And to this, what does Jesus respond with the sad words? Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. What was Peter's response after that? He didn't get it. His hope was still in the world's sort of version of hope. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, Peter's an easy target, right? He resonates with us because he is so much like us. Because how many of us do the same thing time after time after time after time again? Again. We do the same thing with wishful thinking. With having just enough positive thoughts towards something, then it's going to happen. Even though we're fully aware, most of us know Peter's story what happened that night. No matter how much positive thinking that Peter put towards it, and how much boasting he did, he and the rest of the disciples did scatter. His hope proved hopeless. Thankfully, that night, the course of the next 40 days, Peter learned something, as he has now over probably the next 30 years. Because years later, about 30 years, here in First Peter, he now writes to Christians saying that their hope's not based in themselves. But Christian hope is not a power within themselves, it's not the power of positive thinking, it's not a power of wishful thinking. But their hope is a living hope because it's based on something rock solid—Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who Peter first-hand witnessed rising from the dead. The same Jesus that Peter understood causes people to be born again. In other words, causes them to believe in Him, who He is, what He came to do, how He says we should live, and so on. That he is our living hope. Why? Because he's alive. Not only is he alive, but he makes us alive. Again, both things that Peter experienced firsthand. And because he did, he knew where true hope could be found. Jesus Christ, who's alive, and by the way, nothing opposes Jesus Christ, not even death. So our hope is never going to be proved faulty. Our hope is never going to be proven wrong. Because death itself could not defeat him. But Peter says more about this Christian hope. It's not just a living hope, but it's a lasting hope. Again, unlike the world's version of hope, which doesn't last, Christian hope is lasting. Think about things that you've hoped in, and yes, they might have come true for whatever circumstances, but how long do they last? We may say that, you know, I'm hoping for a new car. How long does a new car last? 40 years? 40 weeks? (coughs) Or we might hope in peace happening in a relationship. But isn't there always another relationship that disintegrates? Or it might hope in monetary things but how much of us have suffered over the last year and a bit in Alberta monetarily see Krishna hope is a, is a lasting hope because it's kept in heaven for the believer in a place where it will not decay, it will not defile, it won't lose any of its beauty or delight because there's nothing that can affect us our hope when it's stored in heaven This morning, I was making breakfast, and a couple weeks ago, as often happens in my house right now, my wife and I, because we're kind of this busy, we don't communicate nearly as clearly as we used to. And we knew we needed to make bacon for the Caesar salad. We usually keep bacon so we can crumble it up and put it on salads and potatoes. And she made a pack and I made a pack unknown to each other. So we had lots of bacon in our fridge. And I took it out to put it on the eggs this morning, and I chopped up the one strip of it, and I got to the end, there's mold. I looked in the other parts and the eggs, and it looked okay, and none of us got sick yet, right? But then I started going through the pack. Guess what? It was all moldy. That's what happens with a lot of things we put hope in in this world. They wear out, they decay, they fade away. Not our hope when we put it in Christ, because it's guarded by the all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe. And because it's guarded by him, it can't be taken away. Who's going to steal something from God? This is not the hobbit here. Bilbo of Baggins is not going to sneak into the dragon's den and steal anything. Nothing can escape God. And it'll be revealed to us when our salvation is fully revealed, when the last time comes. Because I think we understand our salvation is only seen in bits and glimpses as we live life here. And as we do, don't hear me wrong, as we live life here and our salvation is seen, it proves that we are a believer. But one of the ways we prove if we're a believer is who do we or what do we put our hope in? airy fairiness of positive thinking of what the world offers us that leads to disappointment like my promotion did like Peter experienced the night that Jesus was betrayed did or are we putting our hope in Jesus Christ that in the end we'll never be disappointed because they'll be sure to come to pass second or moving on We notice that Peter doesn't just say our benefit of hoping in the living hope happens then, but it does produce in us a couple things here. The first thing he says it produces is what we talked about last week, is that when we put our hope in the living hope, it produces joy today. In this you rejoice, in this you have joy. So not for, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than golden, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See again, this is joy not based on our circumstances or situations, but joy that bubbles up from in us. Because our living hope is alive because he's in us. Living hope that's promised so much by God through him is within us. We can have joy. Despite frailties of life. Despite our disappointments. Despite our unhappiness, so to speak, our unhappy situations. We can have joy. But that's only if we put our hope in the living Jesus. If we put our hope in the world, it's a dead hope that will lead to disappointment, lead to no joy. How do we put our hope in the living hope? One way to do it is just trust Him and His promises. Live for Him. Strive to live for Him. And so on and so on. And He'll come in in both small ways and big ways. And we'll have joy as a result of it. Think about this. Have you ever lost anything? Keys? A phone? Money? I don't mean in the stock market, but money fell out of your pocket. A piece of paper that you wrote something on, and you prayed, and guess what? You found it. How did you act? Oh, I guess I found it. None of us were disappointed. None of us were driven to despair. We were like, yeah! God came through. That's how it produces joy. When we lean into God and we experience him coming through, we have joy to the importance to the thing that we've lost, right? Any of your parents have any of your children come to faith? This in Sean of my wife's 40th birthday party, which was this a couple of years ago. Why are you laughing? You don't think she's 40? I gave her a gift. One of the parts of the gift was the spa in Moostra And the certificates, and I was finished my ordination. And I said, as soon as we're done, my ordination, we're going to go. While I got done my ordination, we looked for that certificate. Guess what? Could not find it. We thought we, it was in an envelope. We thought we threw it out accidentally, or we actually thought some babysitters took it. But anyways, it was gone. We moved to Sioux Lookout. Then we moved here. And Jelaine, I think, was unpacking some boxes. And she found the envelope. We were like, yeah! So I can't remember if it was the first January or second January here. We took off the moose draw for a week and enjoyed the spa. See, that's what trusting in God does to us. It's not that gives us stuff, I'm just using that as illustration for how our emotional response is. When God comes through, we have joy. When we place our hope in Him, it produces joy. Peter again points out what I talked about last week in verse 7. To the extent, he says, basically to how we are joyful, actually proves or disproves if we are really a believer. Do we really know Jesus and have put our hope in him? We will rejoice. And if we haven't put our hope in him and really haven't believed in him, we'll despair with the versions of hope. Now the second benefit now, Peter goes on and says, is that not only is it living hope is a joy producing hope, but it's a holiness producing hope. That's holiness. While in practicality sense of living out our faith, it's becoming more like Jesus Christ. Are we more like Jesus the longer we're, we are Christian? That is the holiness that Peter's talking about here. We will not ever grow to be like Jesus if we put our hope in a dead hole. It's a progression. The granite. He describes this in verses eight and nine. Though you have not seen him, you loved him. Though you do not know, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So even if you don't see him, we love him. Even if we don't see him, we believe in him. And even if we don't see him, we have joy. When we live like that. We reflect Him. We reflect His glory. Because we tell the world that we love Him, we believe in Him, and we have joy. Despite our circumstances, we are choosing to have joy, to live for Him, and to love Him. And we continue and we're called to do that till we see Him face to face. Because our salvation is complete when? When I have a comfortable life? When I'm all healthy? When I have the stuff that I want? No, I hope we understand as a Christian, our salvation is complete when we see him face to face. Because right now, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now don't hear me wrong. Our salvation is complete and secure. But then why does he call us to strive for holiness? By the way, Peter will do that. In just a few verses. These same people he's writing to, he's going to say, be holy. Or God says, be holy for I am holy. Because if our salvation is secure and guaranteed because we know Jesus today, why does he strive for us to be holy? Now, don't think that we have to work our salvation. Somehow we have to improve our salvation by doing works. Works is actually a, a proof of Christ in us. Now and the second thing is that it's true right now that when Jesus or when God looks at us because of Jesus' imputed righteousness, means that what Jesus did, gave on the cross, did on the cross, gives us benefit today. Romans chapter one verse seventeen for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. We live because of our standing before God today because we are secure of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross when God looks at us now he sees us as holy as perfect who did everything perfectly this morning? put up your hand and by it you'd actually be saying you did something imperfect because nobody's perfect we all fall short of the glory of God So we have this paradox that God looks at us and sees us as whited here because of Jesus, but we know how far we fall short living this world. How many of us chose to sin intentionally in the last week? How many of us have have sinned unintentionally in the last week? We need to work out our holiness, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, so that by the, we work it out in such a way that the longer we're in the faith, the more Christ-like we are to become. So it's sanctification. Again, that's what God calls us to. See, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we become a Christian, we put the card in our pocket because we're going to go to heaven. Becoming a Christian, Jesus says, I'll, give, I'll take away your yoke. Of sin, a burden, but I'm giving you a new yoke. He still calls us to live for Him, to still calls us to put our hope in living hope, not a dead hope. And sanctification is a term that used to describe the process that God uses throughout our Christian life, because greater is He is in the, us than He is in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to make right choices, to walk in obedience to His standard. To what kind of hope we choose to hope in. Step by step until the day of our glorification, when he calls us home, when our sanctification will be complete. Because face to face with Jesus, we'll be whole. Now one of the reasons why God calls us for holiness, it's not because he's a bad taskmaster. One of the reasons he calls us for holiness and why if we choose to have a living hope today it produces holiness in us is that we experience him more. Hebrews 12, 14 is a powerful verse. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness. Why? Without which no one will see the Lord. See, one of the chief ways that God sanctifies us now is leading us through trials, through suffering, through tribulations, through persecutions and such, so that through them, mainly the pain that they because we'll put to death our self-sufficiency. We'll reach the point where we realize we can't do this on our own. And what happens when we can't do it on our own? If we have bought into the world's hope, we're going to be sold down and so discouraged and in despair. For our hope is in living hope. We'll flee, we'll cling, we'll run to him and be Christ sufficient. And the chaff will be burnt away. That's what verse 7 says. What's that mean for the church? In general. Well, history teaches us. Present day situations of the church in different parts of the world teaches us. The church that is a suffering church, a persecuted church, is a church that's on fire. Because guess what? The chaff is blown away. Because those who are not really fully committed to Christ Disappear. At the same time, those who are really committed to Christ run closer to Him because they place their hope in Him and not in the world. And what happens? We hear about it. We read about it. There's manifestations of God that we don't experience here in North America. And I'm not talking about charismatic things. People experience the reality of God in their midst, not once in a while, but every day. They pray for healing. People are healed. They pray for buildings to be built and money comes in. They build, pray for food and food gets brought in. But that's only when they reach the end of their self-sufficiency. When their hope is in the living hope, not in the world's version of hope. Which in the end really is just trying to be ourselves manifesting something. But this applies individually as well, Right? Again what we talked about last week, what Paul talks or Peter talks about here in verse seven. When suffering comes, it really proves do we believe or not. John Wesley said this about persecution and what it does in burning away the chaff. He says, if we suffer persecution and affliction in the right manner, we attain a larger measure of conformity to Christ by a due improvement of one of these occasions than we could have done merely by imitating his mercy in abundance of good works. The horizon's dark in Canada, in Christianity, in the near future. I've talked to many of you, I deal with my own emotions over it. We can be scared, and not don't hear me wrong, we should be weary. But we should look and be in wonder what God's going to do to his bride in North America. Cuz from this persecution, history has shown there's going to be a church that's going to be able to evangelize North America once again. It's happened throughout history. Every time the gospel looks like it's going dark, The church gets purified, and guess what? God has seen. God's responded to. Where are we putting our hope in on December 22nd, 2019? Is it on wishful thinking? See, we may think that this hope that Peter's talking about here is for the super saints. It's for the super godly. It's for you, Pastor. But circling around to the beginning, who does Peter address this letter to? He clearly identifies that these thoughts and teachings that this letter contains was meant for Christians. Those who are being in persecution in the scattering of the saints... In Asia Minor of the time. Oh, by the way, you see there kind of how the the New Testament books got delivered. They were passed around. This teaching was meant for all believers. Ones who were under persecution, granted, ones who needed hope. Because if they were hoping in the world, they were going to get executed by the world. They needed living hope. They needed not the world's version of hope, but they needed the real deal. They needed something they could lean into that would support them no matter what. A firm foundation of God who does come through in all his promises, again, that this season confirms. Do we understand that on this last day of Advent? Do we understand that what sort of hope in and the type of hope we hope for will enable us to stand or will cause us to fall? See, the Christian hope, the living hope, will allow us to stand strong. It will not disappoint us. And it will see us through thick and thin. It's been proven throughout the centuries. Again, because our hope is living. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Obviously, we thank you because he is the one who saved us. But we thank you for bringing him here, allowing him to live life, seeing, having people see him live life, having people like Peter and the apostles and disciples see him being crucified, but yet experience his resurrection. There's nothing that this world can offer that comes close that when we put our hope in him, there's nothing else that will ever, ever deliver like he does. So Lord God, I pray for my friends here, I pray for myself and the difficulties we perceive in our lives and see in our lives and experience in our lives that we will not be given over to despair and displeasure and no matter how painful it is, we'll put our hope in you. Because it's a lasting hope. It's a hope that's assured. It's a hope that's going to produce joy in us. And it's a hope that's going to make us experience you more and more. That would be the greatest gift we could receive, Lord God, this Christmas, is from your Holy Spirit the power to believe in such a hope. So Holy Spirit, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.